Welcome to the Marshall Proof Podcast, your week in IndyCar listener Q&A show, firing off this recording at 8.50 p.m. on a Monday night. My wife is getting some well-deserved rest right now, and when those things happen, usually means it's a perfect window for me to try and capture a podcast. So let's say a very big thank you as always to our friend Jerry Siddeth, who puts together the questions for us every week, combs through Twitter, Facebook, I think Reddit still, and compiles his favorite questions, puts them in an order that he thinks would be pleasing for y'all, and fires them on through, groups them, uh, and even has a little red line of death, where the ones that, for whatever reason, he doesn't think would work, well... They don't get the love. So, nonetheless, thanks to Jerry. Thanks to y'all for sending in your questions. As always, let's say a huge thank you to Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Discount Tire for all of their ongoing support of the show. Oh, boy, here we are. Uh, this offseason sure doesn't feel like anyone has thrown the off switch. Does it? Not to me, y'all. So, a little quick note up front. I'm supposed to be taking it a little bit easy this week. Not taking the week off, but just trying to dial back. And, yeah, we're now, at least for the IndyCar offseason, what, six weeks, seven weeks in? And, yeah, <laughs> it hasn't slowed down. Uh, plus, the IMSA season just ended about two weeks ago. And so, yeah, going to try and slow down a wee bit here. But uh, we'll see what else folks have in store for us to keep things going. Um, what else? You know, I'll just mention this, then we're going to rock and roll with your questions. Uh, big thanks to the makers of Dragon's Milk, New Holland brewing company and i say thank you to them not because they've contributed anything to the show other than a fine beer and i think i bought these like maybe two years ago dragon's milk reserve and saw it earlier today and said i need to put that in the fridge and i haven't had a let's drink a beer and do a podcast episode in a little while so decided we're going to do that tonight uh just cracked it open oh that's that's oh, oh that is delightful and the best part which i will post with the little show graphic is thanks to our show partners at torontomotorsports.com makers of mighty fine motor racing memorabilia at petit le mans uh they gave me this cool little faf motorsports beer koozie and what is it? Is it a little kind of generic foam one you see? No, it is done uh, like a little Canadian sweater <laughs> uh, modeled after the FAF Motorsports, that number nine, now former Porsche, but the uh, the plaid Porsche team. This is my favorite beer koozie ever. And when you see it, if they have any left, I, I know you're going to want to buy them because I could not pass this up. So keeping my beer cool. Uh, a little bit of dragon's milk for this episode let's open with some questions about the reason the silly season switch has yet to be turned off hunko's hollinger racing our pal calum i lot oh boy 
not at all surprised that this is where we ended up was really hoping it wouldn't but i understand how we got here um couple questions here lance snyder gator racing for chris d'amato on various aspects of what happened here before we get to that let me get another sip of this dragon's milk reserve why don't we answer the the main one that isn't being asked right off the top who's replacing callum that would be romain groschon i only know groschon to be headed to that 77 chevy little interesting factoid who shares a manager who are the only two indycar drivers i know of who share a manager that might be following one another in successive order at a team well that'd be callum Eilat and romain groschon only ever heard super good things about their manager never met him but a little interesting factoid uh callum Eilat's manager is also romain groschon's manager um Romaz, who I'm looking to be in that car. I know I've told you for about two months now that I expected Groschon to be headed near towards or was under serious consideration for something at Hunkos. Know that in the racer mailbag and maybe here as well, admittedly, I don't remember, um, probably said, hey, I expect Romain to be paired with Callum. Expect Romain to replace Augustine Canapino because the team was saying, hey, we don't have a budget for him, can't find a budget for him, really struggling. And the belief was while they couldn't find a budget for Augustine and they certainly would need a budget in order to run Groschon, Groschon being a much higher profile driver internationally, be easier to find the money to run him. Okay, well, they ended up finding the money to continue running Augustine somewhat recently and announced he's staying fantastic well that mean the doors closed for Groschon. it didn't i still need to do a bit of digging on this item here not done by any means does so that means it could be inaccurate but i've heard a thing or two leads me to believe the concept of Groschon replacing eilat might not have been something that was just drummed up here in the last week or two. Might have been something that had a bit of a longer runway. Wait until things get confirmed, see if and what the team will say, but uh, Groshaw going to Hunkos Hollinger Racing has been the thing that I have been very firm on and of the belief that that was going to happen. Thought it was in Canapino 78 car. It's not the case. K started looking like there could be a possibility for him to still go to the team that being in the 77 car and here we are with a very cheery thank you gosh and golly and kitty cats and rainbows and ice cream type comments in the press release from callum from ricardo hunkos i don't remember if brad hollinger had any quotes but regardless all the quotes were gosh and golly and gee and best wishes and thanks and fantastic by the tone of all the quotes you would think everything was fantastic obviously not the case mentioned in last week's racer mailbag uh there's something up 
nobody is talking but if they're gonna part ways they better do it now because if you wait any longer there's zero chance of ilot being able to pick up a ride somewhere so a question or two and where he might go so we'll save that uh here but who do i expect to be in the car romain groschon if it's someone else it will come as a total shock and surprise and i don't know who that other driver is i'm aware of numerous drivers that the team looked at was interested in or has contacted them but in terms of there being one clearly defined candidate i have only known that to be in whichever seat was open at hunko's hauling or racing for that to be roman grishon so there's that now let's get to lance snyder's opening question our minister of mirth he says please put into words phrases and sentences what happened with cal my and hunko's um this is a many tiered item lance and i don't want to go on for too long here because we do have rest of a show to do but this is going to take up the first little bit with the couple of questions on the topic so ricardo hires callum towards the end of the 2021 season they do three races together with a bit of a uh, a pickup team right it, it, i say that because it really did remind me of like a pickup basketball game or whatever where you go all right these are the folks we can assemble not necessarily the best uh for the job but this is what we got and they went out and did some races learned a little bit were terrible but at least they got a feel for one another made some improvements hired some better folks to surround some of the good folks they already had came back in 2022 full season single car callum learns indycar learns ovals learns the chassis and the tire and the engine and all that stuff the tracks i had what i thought was a very good year looking up his stats he, of the 17 races he finished between eighth place and 15th in almost half of them eight out of the 17 i don't know if i i really put that together back then and just looking at it right now was like huh that is surprisingly good for someone with so much to learn now again a driver of his caliber formula two race winner over and over again runner up in the championship there ferrari formula one test driver again these are the things where you go well clearly this guy is pretty dang special all true all accurate just throwing it out there though that actually i should say he finished eighth to 15th in half of the races proper because i forgot he didn't do the detroit race i think hurt his hand hurt a finger whatever it was but yeah so i know finishing between eighth and 15th isn't exactly a crazy big deal but for a team that's brand new coming back to indycar was never particularly good beforehand first full season rookie driver rookie to everything they finished 20th in the standings and again that might not sound like much but uh i thought there was something really impressive going on there wait till they come back for year two kind of deal and indeed they had a really strong second year together while expanding to two cars why am i explaining all of that in the what happened uh between canapino between hunkos between hollinger between eilat 
just need a little bit of context to understand that as a one car team, they were really good for all the caveats we should throw in there. Coming back year two, he's now the unquestioned team leader, super legendary teammate in Argentina, but a rookie to open wheel and all these things here. Callum improves to 16th in the championship. One spot behind Graham Rahal, one ahead of David Malukas. And this team is still very small, very new, and <laughs> running a two-car operation all of a sudden. So for him to have a pair of fifth-place finishes and for him to be especially good on the ovals, where he was pretty terrible as a rookie, I mean, this to me was a really big year for Callum. Driver growth, driver development, no matter where we went, you knew that he had the potential of doing very well. But there are a couple of bombs that went off during the year. So most of you probably know the social media stuff, right? Being targeted by some of Canapino's fans after Long Beach, death threats coming in, uh, really ugly, really nasty. Happened again at the season finale. So it happened in the middle of April, and kind of put a timestamp on that. I think the race was April 16th. Long Beach comes back to the transporter, finds his phone is blowing up, and he, his mom, his girlfriend, his dog, pet goldfish, everyone's being ripped to shreds on social media by Canapino, whatever number of Canapino's fans. Uh, Callum blamed uh, broadcaster. Don't know if he was specific to the Argentinian audience or just South American audience. Again, I can't, don't know exactly, but I know Callum called this person out on Twitter at least. Um, he comes back and finds that basically he's been lit on fire, right? Blamed for everything, blamed for all of Augustine's problems. Augustine ended up crashing in the race after leading a little bit, leading because everybody else pitted and the team kept him out. So, did he technically lead the race? Yes. Was it based on merit and passing? No. Everybody else pitted and came out behind him. But regardless, um, Callum held him up a little bit. Uh, Augustine later crashed. Bottom line was, after the race, whatever number of Augustine's fans, from wherever they were, again, they didn't have to be Argentinian, they could be based anywhere, but whatever number of Augustine's fans went on the absolute attack. And it was bad. It was really bad. So you may know that whole scenario. You may know some of what I'm about to mention as well. You may not. Of the things that I heard and have on very good account, the team didn't really know what to do afterwards. Um, the team was fairly inactive after immediately after all this stuff went off. About 24 hours later, IndyCar put out a statement on social media, right? Two days later, the race was on Sunday the 16th. On Tuesday, April 18th, Callum's team put out a statement. If we're looking to make, whether it's your driver, your engineer, your truck driver, your PR rep, I don't care who it is. If someone on your team and your family has been under attack 
whether it is social media or physically a group of people going up trying to menace harass beat up whomever one of your team members and you see it what would you do would you two days later say oh hey uh don't do that or do you rush to that person's defense support i think the pretty obvious answer is you rush in if this is truly your brother your sister your whomever if this is part of your team part of your tribe you go and fight for them fight people off protect the person whatever it is that didn't happen so left to be roasted torched and threatened himself his family and not from random sources your teammates fans whatever they were whatever percentage could have been a tenth of one percent of his again i don't know we don't know the exact numbers we just know that the attacks came in response to what happened and or didn't happen on track between callum and augustine there were no efforts by the team to try and extinguish that fire support him in any kind of swift or meaningful way we know this it's been chronicled i don't know if i'm revealing anything new but i did hear that right after the team was like i don't know what do you want us to do and it's like you want me to provide you with answers on how to behave and support me what this is supposed to be like natural reaction if you have those feelings if you see a person a thing or whatever as being worthy of that kind of reaction and if you don't if you kind of go oh yeah i see you get beaten up huh aren't particularly compelled to step in be it online or in person it would lead you to question hey am i safe here did they have my back am i really truly the heart of this team now with a two-car team again could lead to questions as to whether that was the case last year for sure as a one-car team it was just me and only me now maybe not so much so just putting yourself in that position coming out of the april 16 long beach grand prix callum Ilot had a very valid reason to feel like his team did not have his back we then go in this is an important sequence that maybe has been overlooked we know about the second social media attack to close the year september 10th monterey we'll get into that in just a sec but the thing i think we really need to look at and not dismiss two events the indy open test april 20th indianapolis motor speedway callum in his car his indy 500 chassis was i believe 31st fastest of the 33 cars at the test i think the slowest did a 220.1 mile per hour lap 
I think the next slowest was like just a tick faster, 220.2, 220.3. Callum was the third slowest, I believe at a 220.9 mile per hour lap. And that wasn't good. There were many, 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 many cars that were significantly faster. Now, there were only 34 entries for the race, 33 cars at the test. He was 31st of the 33. You might say, well, hey, if you hold station there, you'll make the show, no question. He came out of that test saying, look, y'all, this car, this chassis that's been built, my Indy 500 chassis, this thing is a dog. Okay, no blame, no what, just... I'm out there doing everything I can to make speed, and we are barely above the bottom of the timesheet. We got to change the chassis, okay? Uh, This thing is crazy slow, did not react in any kind of way to get faster when we made changes. This is a slow chassis. Change. Was told, nope, be just fine. Go and do the Barber Race, do the Indy Grand Prix, a little bit of weather to start the week for Indy 500 practice. Practice gets underway, and 34th among the 34 cars running on the opening day of practice, I believe. The next day, I think that was Thursday, uh, 32nd, I think, of the 34, but again, barely so. We're clearly in everyone's favorite expression during IndyCar races, the danger zone. So the guy says, look, we're crazy slow at the test. I'm telling you, I'm doing everything I can. I know y'all are doing everything you can. It's not you. It's not me. The chassis, as we just sometimes see for reasons that defy logic, slow car syndrome, slow chassis syndrome. We got it. Let's acknowledge it recognize it and react and change one thing that hunkos hollinger racing is fortunate to have is a lot of cars having bought all of carlin racing's assets all their chassis to go with the ones i already had they got delara dw12s on top of delara dw12s nonetheless the team said no too much work isn't required no uh they get into the event and indeed everything i lot had said it's true it's real and then starts a devolving of the relationship hey holy crap we're now just a couple days away from qualifying and this thing is as slow as i said and we've thrown all kinds of stuff at it we've trimmed it out like you wouldn't believe i'm taking bigger because i'm talking to him and ricardo as well throughout the week Callum's saying, I'm throwing everything I can at it. I'm taking risks like you. I mean, I am white-knuckling things. And, you know, the car's tracking strange down the straight. Like, just the behavior is off, okay? Again, no fingers being pointed. We're here to make the show. We're in jeopardy. Please listen to me. No. Car's fine. Be better tomorrow. They go out not really and again i think on the thursday so the day before fast friday when everyone gets the boost extra boost and does all their tuning and prep for 
qualifying over the weekend they go out and try whatever they try they did i think seven laps on friday early uh ish no again i apologize but might have been late whatever it was it was something where you go oh boy what are we doing here pleaded after the first day change no pleaded after the second day change no friday they went out and did seven laps or something like that car bog slow again finally was there a willful and happy decision to make a change there was not now i don't have the exact account of what took place i've heard everything from the wild crazy like no way that actually happened end to meh it was more of just little flappy gums i've heard from enough folks that there was something more in the middle of frustrations were running super high on callum's part and he got into an argument with ricardo hunkos exactly what was said i can't tell you wasn't standing there but i've heard multiple accounts that everything from put someone else in the car going to replace you with someone else in the car i'm not going to drive the car uh we're going to park the car all these things were thrown back and forth whether it was the driver saying i refuse to drive if you don't change chassis or the team owner saying to heck with you i'm going to put someone else in it's not the car it's you um there i i feel confident saying there was a heated exchange between the two of them the heart of the problem was this and not with the chassis but with what was going on so here we are five days or whatever it is after this big explosion at long beach where the team just doesn't support its driver in any reasonable way days later they show up at indianapolis for the big one and only open test prior to the indy 500 the car is as slow as can be the driver is hitting the panic button saying we have to change the team is saying no and not nah nah no it's a definitive no they get into the event it's just as bad as it was during the test just as the things have gone as wrong as the driver said they would asking please again make the change no ask again no get into friday and it's desperation mode and he wasn't believed so we go from not being supported in any reasonable way the middle of april to here we are now the middle ish of may already had a very bad open test requests were resoundingly denied and now all of a sudden we have a guy who is saying look the car the car the car and his team just simply isn't believing him now without saying it whether it was a belief it was him not driving it correctly or just him being overly dramatic uh don't know but there was a belief that you don't believe him not making the change Eh. 
finally it took a some sort of unpleasant shouty exchange between driver and team owner to where a decision was finally made to prepare a spare chassis they make that change they miss basically all of friday roll out saturday for the first time they split qualifying groups into two practice sessions i think callum ended up running next to last in his but again this is very first time out in the car and on high boost and all these things he goes out right on saturday where they locked in the top 28 cars right i think something like that um 28 29 whatever it was 28 or 29 cars and now i think it was the top 30 i apologize they lock in the top 30 the three slowest or the four slowest would carry over to sunday in the last chance qualifying session and one driver would be bumped what does callum and the 77 crew do in this car they barely know in terms of time on track and getting the setup right and all these things qualifies 28th vindication immediate vindication you didn't believe me okay refused to make the change okay had to get into an ugly argument to make that happen and now here i am here we are 28th locked into the race well worth the the struggle and anguish and all those things augustine to his great credit qualified 27th granted he'd been in the same car the whole time but nonetheless both hunkos hollinger racing cars are in the field he ends up starting 28th charges to 12th has an amazing race day super impressive finished ninth at texas right and follows that up with a big charge through the field nearly from the back of the field i mean pretty dang close to the back of the field all the way to 12th an amazing drive and not only did callum put in an amazing performance everybody on his car strategy to engineering to changing the tires to fueling the thing you name it they all did an amazing job also again vindicated this i don't know why they didn't believe him i don't know why they just chose to ignore and ignore and ignore turns out he was right and i can tell you i've worked with many drivers throughout my years back when i was a mechanic engineer team manager whatever and there are some where you go okay yeah oh that's what the car's doing sure you don't necessarily listen to what they say or take it too much weight because that driver might not be very good good enough to drive an indy car or indy lights nxt whatever it might be indy pro 2000 but again you know who you're dealing with this guy pedigree wise impeccable realize that might not be an oval expert by may of 2023 he has certainly shown that if he says the car is doing something or not doing something you nod your head you say yes 
finished. No questions with this guy. Others, yes. This guy, no. This really adds to some very negative beliefs. If you really felt like you were left out in the breeze to get torched in April, told no, car is fine over and over and over again, have to fight because you know they're wrong, you're proven correct, but you're still coming away with a strong conviction that you aren't believed. That's a couple of pretty big hits two months in a row, right? Relationship kind of, sort of improves. It was not pleasant after May. I can tell you that. And with some teams sniffing around and, hey, could be interested, uh, this was not a happy place. Nonetheless, they move on. So we're going to wind down here and talk about what's happened here in the last month and a half, two months. So things blow up again at Monterey. It's a repeat of Long Beach, maybe not as bad, right? I'm not saying there's a good level of this, but it seemed like Long Beach was just napalm. Crazy death threats, you name it. Monterey was bad but I don't know if it was as bad. But hey, if you've been torched once, you're probably going to be pretty sensitive. Your skin's going to be pretty raw if it happens a second time and from the same audience, your t- some of your teammates, fans. And where we thought the team was a little slow and disinterested and stepping in in April... Oh, boy. We really did not have any urgency at all. Made Long Beach look like it was a two-second pit stop in terms of speed and urgency. Monterey, boy, there's no one home. Uh, Put something out, whatever, more than 24 hours later, really super lukewarm. And it was very clear. This was a, well, we better put something out. Not a, oh my goodness, we're concerned about Callum, concerned about his mental well-being, concerned about whatever things that we should. None of that was received from the team's handling of this. You start to hear. After the race, hey, boy, was this like, hey, let's all stand around and talk and figure out what happened and and get on the same page no I, if anything i heard it was super frosty well that's not good you uh you probably wouldn't want that to be how things get handled um and then you hear about ricardo and augustine leaving for argentina almost right away and then you start hearing about wow it sounds like callum's team owner is kind of sort of torching him at home in the domestic racing media in Argentina. Huh. Wow. We're going hardcore. So I rang Ricardo somewhere week or two after Monterey and said, dude, what is going on? 
uh, seeing that Callum's being blamed for this and that and the other. I've watched the in-car footage. I can't find the thing where he does anything wrong, but I've heard he was given team orders not to pass and this and that and the other. And like, I don't know what's true and what isn't true. So did an interview. He clarifies tons of stuff, says, nope, uh, watch the footage. And no, uh, Callum's not responsible for the contact. Augustine hit him. Okay. Uh, no, there was no team orders given. Uh, There's a lot of nope, nope, nope. All these things that had kind of blown up somewhere, somehow. Uh, he knocked them all down. And I was really impressed with what seemed like uh, really wanted to go to bat to clarify things for Callum. Things then shifted when we got to social media. And I didn't end up using everything he said because some of it was kind of versions of the same thing, maybe expressed slightly different in one way or the other, but put the social media on Callum, not for making Augustine's followers, however many of them, go after him, but basically, hey, uh, you can choose not to pay attention to social media. There's a lot of crazy stuff out there. And, you know, if you choose to engage, well, that's on you. Okay. Yeah, you're right. But at the same time, I think most of us would agree. You should be able to live your life and do the things that you might enjoy without having to be attacked, especially repeatedly, not by randos, but like folks associated with your teammate. But okay. Or things really took a strong veering turn so on the subject of what was being said to callum in spanish right don't know if there were many if any english or non-spanish non-english attacks directed at callum or his family at long beach or monterey but i know that at least speaking for uh his home country and folks in Argentina, Ricardo said flatly, plainly, boldly, reading this totally the wrong way. Show me the threats. Where, where are the actual death threats? I'm going to kill you. He's misinterpreting all this. We're very passionate people. We do this all the time, right? Whether it's a soccer slash football game, whether it's whatever, uh, this kind of uh, aggro, aggressive, angry, attacking type stuff on social media. I realize I'm speaking in generalisms, but he was speaking in generalisms as well, but basically painted a scenario where he said, this type of stuff being fired at Callum, which y'all are receiving up there as like, the end of the world and oh my god and death threats and bullying and this is all terrible and right no oh, end of the world eh, it's kind of normal this is how we get down we don't take any of this seriously right uh nor should he and so frankly it's his i don't know if he said the word fault but it was implied it's his fault for taking it this way because that's not how it's meant not how it's intended and I don't know if the term gaslighting fits here perfectly. 
And I'm struggling to think of another colloquialism that fits better. But there was a pretty heavy element of the reality you perceive is wrong. It's not right. And if you would stop perceiving it the way you perceive it and perceive it my way, everything would be fine. That was a little rich. That was a little bold. And, you know, he might be 100% correct. Every single attacking, threatening type thing that was sent to Callum may have, by those who sent them, been non-serious. Hey, I'm going to kill you, you son of a bee, and whatever. Maybe the person sending that to Callum sends 20 of those a day across whatever sports they're watching or entertainment or whatever. Who knows? Maybe that's what the reality is for those sending those things to Callum. As I tried to impart to Ricky in the call, um, I can't speak to any of that. I don't know those people. I know their hearts. I don't know their intentions. You're speaking for them so okay i mean again you would obviously have a better feel for your home country and folks behavior than i would but i can't underscore enough how within indycar here in the states this kind of thing oh it is not received in a ah hey you know i'm gonna kill you i'm gonna kill you too ha and you hug and drink a beer and what like it's not that and so what might be blown off and run of the mill for you and maybe those who you are saying that's how they would be saying these things saying threatening things but again no real ill intent behind it and quickly forgotten this is not being quickly forgotten this isn't how we get down in IndyCar. It's not a thing for us. And so this is new, and it's not comfortable, and it's not being laughed off. And he seemed to understand that. Um, but we close here at Monterey with yet another feeling of no support. And now we get some insight as to why the Long Beach thing was two days later, why the Monterey thing was a day later and just, as weak sauces could be team didn't see this in the same problematic way as its driver or its drivers fans and any of those who protested um seen as a non-issue not a total non-issue i understood that how it was being received here by its driver and family and friends and fans was definitely a problem but still eh was it really that was the general attitude. And this is where things effectively broke. And so it wasn't just the difference in perception. Realize that we're filling almost the entire show talking about this, but I apologize. But this is a pretty deep layered and almost year long thing where things broke completely as i have heard and maybe this would fall into some sort of behavioral i don't know what and gaslighting is a word that comes to mind but 
The thing that I've heard more recently, most recently, is really for this relationship to continue, Callum would need to start doing things the Hunkos way. If there is another attack, hey, um, need you to handle this the way we want you to handle this. Hey, if this happens, look, you need to basically fall in line. It's what I've heard. They're not talking on the record, so I don't have anything on the record to share with you. But the thing I'd heard is the the proverbial, I'm not drunk, but I should at least drink a beer so I can feel like I can, I can pass off my stumbles as being alcohol-related. I think that's my second beer in about a month and a half. I'm not doing well there. I need to speed up. The proverbial straw that broke this whole thing, I believe, was some sort of demand, edict, or otherwise, saying, hey, man, uh, we're not going to put up with that anymore. What is that? What is the thing they wouldn't put up with? I don't fully know. But I know that the team saw a lot of this as unnecessary and just straight-up histrionics. Hey, man, if you didn't respond to folks and didn't blow this up by reacting, well, you're, you're kind of burning yourself here, right? You're kind of fanning your own flames, right? If you just ignore this and don't respond to these people... It's a non-issue, right? I mean, again, when you're not the one being targeted, I guess maybe it's easier to have that opinion. But the thing I've heard, basically wanted them to fall in line. Hey, if uh, you get hit with your teammates' fans' blowtorch again, uh, take it. Come to us. We'll tell you how we want you to react. I don't know how many folks, assuming that that's accurate, I don't know how many folks, unless they were truly desperate for income. Many of us are. So I'm not saying that like I'm not, but... When you're someone as talented as an Eilat, who, I don't know if we'll get to the where might he be driving next year in a moment, but this guy has the kind of skills and reputation to where he can go race in multiple championships. Don't know if it'll be IndyCar next year, but IMSA, WEC, SRO, the guy's going to find work. He'll be paid no matter whether it's top dollar for F1 or IndyCar level potential, he'll be able to earn an income driving something for someone that far surpasses what any of us make per year. So whether it's his first choice or fifth choice of something to drive, he'll be okay. Knowing that, would you expect someone who's not absolutely desperate for a job to take that 
to kind of bend the knee, lower your head, submit. It's what it sounded like to me was being asked of him. And if that's accurate, having gone through all that he went through, it feels like that's a bit too much. So how did we end up where we ended up? This really does make me sad. This, I think, was a a number of folks' favorite little team. Little team that could. Little underdog team with the little spindly, smiley, somewhat dark cloud British guy in Canapino who no one even expected to do anything and Ricardo and his amazing story and right I just I hate the fact that it feels like this really cool amazing thing we had to root for uh, is dead and for the dumbest of reasons instead of just supporting a guy or anybody in this case a guy instead of supporting a guy when he's being beaten up and then just trusting him believing in him when he says hey there's a problem Uh, effectively forcing the guy to have to fight for things to be done correctly and then to be proven right and you go why did you make us go through all this but now you've even further undermined my confidence in y'all y'all look at me as some sort of crazy guy you can't trust and who you won't back up in a fight and then there's another quote fight to close the year and it's not just just a case of no support it's a case of looking around going where is everybody and then the team basically says if this is accurate uh you're at fault you need to stop being the problem anything like this happens again you come to us first i don't know if that's any element of stockholm syndrome or if it's trying to create a stockholm syndrome type scenario just none of it sounds healthy so the the final thing i'll add here and again i apologize because i thought i was going to get through this quickly but you know sometimes telling a long story takes a while this is not the hallmark of a team with the chemistry and the holding each other accountable code that delivers true success really as simple as that does that mean they can never be successful absolutely not this was handled terribly by the team over and over and over again also because there's never almost never a truly one-sided divorce Callum wasn't always delightful to deal with I've heard the word entitled used in reference to him. Difficult at times. 
Ungrateful is another word that I've heard used. So am I saying he was just a bundle of perfection and interpersonal magic all year long and it's all on the Hunkos team or Ricardo? And No, absolutely not. The major things that led to this fracturing and the failure in the relationship I am confident in saying team bears the vast majority of the responsibility. I hope the team learns from this, conducts itself and behaves in a very different manner going forward. If we go with Romain Groschon as Callum's replacement. What is Romain coming from? It's coming from two years with a very good team where the relationship ended in a very unhappy manner because interpersonal matters attitudes problems that were allowed to grow and fester get to the point to where relationship could not be salvaged wasn't desired to be salvaged what just happened at hunkos hauling a racing primarily between ricardo hunkos and calamilot Problems, problems that were allowed to fester came to a point where there was nothing left to salvage in the relationship. So we're going from one guy came in with great promise, delivered a number of really good results, the best driver the team's ever had, also gave them the best Indy 500 finish they've ever had. And... Things were not run properly. Behaviors were allowed to go unchecked or be improper, whether it's on the team, the driver, whatever. This failure didn't happen because of one thing on one day. It was many instances, and no one was willing to step in and say, for our collective sake, yours and mine, we've got to get this fixed and back on track and we might not see eye to eye but we have to find common ground they did not there was no attempt to find real true common ground as i understand it it was a pretty one-sided affair our way or the highway his expected replacement someone coming out of relationship that was just as fractured who knows maybe even more and this is going to solve problems for all we know they're going to cancel each other out and we're going to have the happiest most harmonious number 77 chevy program ever that's going to run in the top 10 all year long defy everything to indycar's great delight and just 
blow our minds. But this just, at least right now, sounds a bit like, aren't we going into the exact same scenario that you just decided had to stop? Oh, boy. Uh, Gator Racing 4. Howdy, MP. Best you and yours. Am I crazy or would Penske be crazy? Not to push. I lot to fight. Kid seems like a great future-proofing option for whenever power hangs it up. Um, yes, for sure. Uh, the question here is where would he go at Foyt knowing that Foyt needs money for both entries? Um, I mean to say that in like a Foyt needs money. I just mean like, hey, they're known to be a team that receives payment for both entries. Heard it's about at least this past season, about 2 million for the 14 car. And then not much more than that for the other car. I know that coming out of 2023, the team is certainly looking for lots more funding. Uh, and hopefully they all find it and everything will be awesome. Uh, it means Callum would be a perfect choice for them. Be the, be a great choice but they need money to run him. And I don't know where that would come from since he has none to bring because he is not a paying driver. Both drivers that Foyt had for 23 brought funding to the program. The only thing I could think of, knowing that they're wanting to develop a third car for 2025, potentially for Miles Rowe, is would there be an interest, and by they I mean Penske, having Foyt run it, but have it decently staffed by Penske employees, engineers, you name it, would, in preparation for 2025, Foyt want to get out for X number of races with that third car to try and develop and tune it up a little bit, have it ready if indeed Miles Rowe is ready to go after one season of Indy NXT. If that would be a yes, I'd think Ilot would be the perfect choice for Penske to put on retainer. Also, hey, if we're going to go test here or there, great. Uh, you're in. Need you to race once, twice, however many, you're in. Um, I love the idea. It would just take someone at Penske to share your uh, thoughts here, believe in them and put money in action behind uh chris damato mp continued well wishes for you and your wife chabrell so much for it being a slow news week say reading between the lines this callum and hunko split was a we'd rather pay you out than try to make it work i think if you look at well okay you say this doesn't seem like much of a surprise given ricardo's comments when on spanish-speaking tv shows were you at all surprised by this also where do you think Callum ends up? Um, the super rosy, gosh and golly nature of the quotes definitely fits the shut up and we'll pay you. Uh, we've seen this happen multiple times in recent years, whether it is a hinch, whether it's a Bourdais, whether it's a whomever. The shut up, uh, you get your money. Um, we've even had this happen a couple times this season with non-drivers of folks 
employed by bigger teams, those teams having pretty decent gardening leave, non-compete clauses in those contracts. And hey, okay, well, you want to leave, then you can leave. You're going to have to sit on the sidelines um, if you want to collect a paycheck. And as I've heard from some of those folks, those paychecks are pretty darn good. So you know what you do? You chill. Um, that's at least how I interpreted the quotes, Chris, of, uh, okay, uh, I'm going to say everything positive and make sure that the paychecks keep getting paid. Uh, surprised? No. As I wrote last week, I think the news went out Thursday, last Thursday. Um, Wednesday morning's racer mailbag, I think it was page two, had the uh, something's not right here. No, neither one of them is talking. And if they really wanted to do things in a decent way, they'd let him go now instead of later. The following day, the announcement went out about that. I can also tell you that while the racer mailbag goes up crack of dawn Wednesday mornings, uh, half of it is written by Friday night. The other half is written by Monday afternoon. So I don't remember when I wrote that for that one, but uh, I would not have written that and written it in that way uh, two to five days prior had I not kind of sort of known that's where it was heading. Um I don't say that in any, like, oh, I knew it. I say it like it was that evident that's where it was going. Um, so, no, not a surprise. Saddened, but not a surprise. And I did not know that that's where it was headed, say, two weeks ago or three weeks ago. But I definitely got an inkling whenever a week and a half ago or so that, oh, yeah, there's there's something there's something ain't good here and i don't see how we walk this back from the ledge as for where do i think he ends up which i believe closes the ilot Hunkos loop uh mentioned foyt with uh, the last question here um the only team that i think he has a better than single digit percent chance of driving for because the Foyt one just seems like a real stretch it makes total sense but again it boy there'd have to be a lot of things made to happen the only one i can think of is coin i've heard coin might have an interest in him the part that tempers my thoughts on this one thing i'm aware of at least three drivers with significant budgets to offer. Callum not being a money guy would mean Dale would have to come out of pocket to run him. How much? I don't know. Not sure how many co-entrants he might have. Would that be in the Rick Ware racing side? We know that they've lost the HMD Motorsports funding, right? But don't know, right? Uh, if it's the Rick Ware racing side, I don't pretend to know what the financial split is between RWR and Dale Coin Racing, but in theory, um, 
that might be the one and only way I could see him having a decent chance of being on the grid. The other drivers that I know of with significant budgets to offer, only one of them I would rate as being very good. Nowhere in Callum's league, though. So in terms of the drivers I am aware of that are on Dale's radar and or have very likely reached out and inquired, some of them may have budgets that are like, hey, wow, hard to ignore. Others might have smaller budgets. There's one or two where you go, hey, that's a pretty darn good driver. Like a <clears throat> an Andretti might want to have that driver a couple of years from now or maybe someone else. None of those drivers, though, are, I would say, as good as Callum. And most of all, not a single one is as turnkey ready to go, right? Got a bit of a developing oval, I don't know, badass is the word. I think I feel like you need to run top two, top three for a smaller team like we've seen Malukas do to go, all right, that guy's an oval badass. But I really did come away last season going, hey, Callum's really freaking good on ovals uh, with only two years of experience. We know he's extreme. <laughs> Roden streets are his true specialty. Uh, Coin just hired Mitch Davis as team manager. He's excellent. And they're holding on to the excellent Terry Brown, who's kind of starting to slow down semi-retirement. But still, if they can build, because they lost a lot of talented people in recent years, bringing Mitch in. Folks like working for Mitch. Mitch knows everybody. I have a feeling we're going to hear about some more good people heading to coin i think they're going to start to build up their the depth and their timing stands a bit more on pit lane a little bit more if all those things happen i think dale's looking at 2024 with the new hybrid motors coming in seeing that as maybe a little bit of a potential for being an equalizer if i'm having to pretend to be dale and i have the willingness to put some money in i lots the only one that i know of that's going to pick up where malukas left off and i think go even better so we'll see uh, it's truly on dale as i see it chris um Dale needs to decide, is 2024 a bigger profit while sacrificing some competitiveness year, a year of that? Or is it a, all right, come out of pocket a bit, but I feel like we can go and do some pretty big things. That's on him. We will soon find out. Ed Joris, humor me. That actually wasn't a command. I read Ed's name, and then I started to read his submission. Ed Joris says, humor me, although that might be a comment. Hey, Ed Joris, humor me. Uh, why would Firestone do a tire test in Milwaukee with a non-hybrid car? Um, pretty easy. I think you might have sent this one in to the racer mailbag as well. So 
Uh, if so, please don't do that, Ed. Pick a site. Um, two things. Uh, Firestone doesn't own any indie cars, so all they can do is ask teams to go and test on their behalf um, and pay them uh, to do that. But nonetheless, uh, teams do not own hybrid cars at the moment. Um, any and all hybrid content is owned by the manufacturers slash IndyCar. So, uh, hey, Meyershank Racing, could you go to a track and help us with the test? The team can say yes. Meyershank Racing does not have a hybrid IndyCar to take to a track to do that test. So that's the first part. Uh, the second part, and I looked this up just to try and help because I know you're a very fact and number-driven guy. Um, as I understand things, and forgive me that it's a ish instead of an exact de- with a decimal point answer, but the 2024 hybrid car should be about a 3% overall increase in weight. Not 30%, not 13%, 3 3 is not a small percentage to consider for an IndyCar, a finely tuned thing. I get that. We're still not talking about some giant number. And so... Would you prefer to have a car that is identical to the spec that will be using those tires in competition next year? Of course. Is running a car that's 3% lighter with a very slight balance difference compared to 2023? Running that 2023 car that's slightly different than next year's, I should say. Again, end of the world now. Is this going to give Firestone really good read on whatever they were looking to test, it should. So perfect? No. Uh, Something that will throw off what they choose to bring for tires next year? In no way whatsoever. Uh, Michael Steenblick, how are you, brother? MP, hope all is well. Um, And your wife? You and your wife are in their prayers. Thank you, brother. Like For real. What kind of stuff just blows me away? Uh, he says, as we know, the energy recovery system is going to add 60-ish pounds. Well, the weight with the aero screen uh, is a total weight gain. Um, well, the ERS being behind the aero screen allow the teams to maybe dig up some old setups, say pre-aero screen. Now, uh, this is going to be a enough of a difference setup wise that they're going to have to come up with some new content why is that well see where we end up on brakes could there be a change in brake sizing yes um that change the speed and of which tires are heated or not heated uh beyond just the difference in mass, right? So we know that we're adding overall about 60 pounds. Got it. The weight of the motor generator unit and the uh, supercapacitor pack that sits on top of it, that is the weight. The aero screen, um, that's actually 
coming down, right? So we also have the transmission case from Extrac. That is changing from aluminum to magnesium. The bell housing, that's the piece where the covers up the clutch and the MGU and supercapacitor. It, it's basically that metal bridge that bolts to the back of the engine that the transmission bolts to on the back end of that connects everything together. That's changing from aluminum to magnesium. So just from a, a dynamic standpoint, you have a decent chunk of weight being placed right behind the motor where it did not live beforehand. With the lightened bell housing, the lightened transmission case, and the lightened aero screen, you bring that overall weight gain down to about 60 pounds. You've also changed the, the weight, where that weight is located. So transmission case still has weight. It is lighter. Uh, the parts that stick out behind the rear axle, lighter. Modify the car's pendulum effect, if you want to call it that. There's enough things here, and I'm not sure what other changes might be in store with the car. Um, could there be any additional ducting added within the bodywork for cooling of the energy recovery system and the uh, supercapacitor pack? Could there be larger liquid cooling? Again, I, I'm eager to understand final upgrade kit that each team will need to buy and what exactly is on that list. Again, we know the MGU and the, the little part that holds on to the, the juice and sends it away with a super cap and know of a lot of the things, but I don't know if I know about everything. And so once I get a feel for the final, final vehicle spec, if there's any sizing changes, right? Talk about brakes, for example. Slightly more overall mass, right? So will the front brakes be fine? Will those need to get a little bit bigger? Will the rears need to be downsized at all, right? Well, now that we have this MGU, which is helping to decelerate the car when it's engaged, well, now all of a sudden, this energy harvesting device is actually contributing to the braking of the vehicle. Do we need the same big old rear brakes on road and street courses? Or again, I don't know. I don't know where they're going to end up on final spec. So just mention all these things where you go, eh, I don't know if it's going to be night and day difference, but this will be a new spec for the Delara DW chassis era that I would say does not really give any team the ability to say, oh, let's go back to this year's setups and it's going to be almost identical. Um, Chris Kalewick, how are you? I love this. Say, since the season's over, I've got a silly season question of sorts. Let's pretend that all driver deals are erased. And like the NFL draft, teams got to pick a number one driver to carry them into the future based off reverse finishing order. 
Would a team like Foyt and ECR go for a Dixon or Power who could revolutionize their long-term mechanical processes? Would a Dale Coyne reunite with Palo and go for wins? Let me know your thoughts. I love this question, and I love it because I have actually indeed had thoughts like this, not as in-depth as yours, but more of a, hey, if drivers coming out of the USF championships or Indian NXT uh, were in a draft, should they be in a draft? I think they should. But I don't necessarily like the reverse. Like, look, if you as an individual can become a champion, knowing that unlike a football team with 53 players or whatever, like I realize that a racing team has many people, but you know, we do look to the kind of mono a uh, mono and woman o a uh, woman o um, and non-binary o a uh, non-binary o to uh settle the score of who's best and who's not but i do like the idea of teams having to pick from a draft and associate themselves with say the top 20 drivers overall uh across whichever junior open wheel categories don't know if that would work but um i mean if we had to go reverse order yeah for sure the bottom teams you know, the funny thing is here, Chris, even though we'd look at a Dixon or a Power, or even a New Garden, right? New Garden's still young, but he's a vet. You can look at all these drivers and go, they're amazing. And oh my goodness, if you added them with all their institutional knowledge from Penske or Ganassi or wherever, ah, our smaller team would become just infinitely better. And yet most of those smaller teams are still going to go for the shiny new object. I don't necessarily mean like a rookie coming out of NXT, but like, hey, <laughs> uh, you mentioned Polo, someone like a Polo, a Kirkwood, a uh, Lungard, or whomever. Uh, that's probably going to be where they end up. But I th- would have to hope. Granted, you'd have to feel, right, for a Dixon or a Power. Spent their whole careers more or less at or near the top. And now, in the twilight of their careers, like, hey, your new team hasn't won in 12 years. Whiff of the podium. If there was a podium for the last three positions in a race, your new team's been on the podium nonstop. I mean, you'd have to feel, hey, Scott Dixon announced his retirement. Ah, This would be brutal. I think I'll just give you an overarching answer here, but we would want the smaller worse medium midfield teams to really go for the oh my goodness hire this guru of a driver and they're going to make you so much better you know the thing that i just find more often than not when we see that happen a team has that veteran who's won a bunch of things before might be a champ or an indie winner or whatever they get them and they bring them to the team and You expect miracles. It never happens. Why? Because the driver's kind of old and washed up? No, because you as a team are by no means ready to allow them to continue doing the things that made them champs, indie winners, or otherwise. So I've just seen a few too many times recently, Chris, where you go, wow, 
this person can really help that team to level up. And what happens after a half season or a year or two or whatever, you go, boy, uh, did you get better? Maybe you learned some things, but huh, you just either weren't ready to capitalize on this asset that you had maybe too entrenched in your ways and just found like, you know what? We don't want to change. Like there's multiple answers to this, but yeah. Um, I'd say you'd have to limit it to drivers with seven years or less experience in IndyCar. Cause it'd just be cruel if we, picked those who were older uh also if you want to go a little more in depth on this on another show we can brother just knowing the show is going to be way longer than anticipated i gotta fire through some other uh questions here um pat o'day all right this is a who peed in your cheerios question i'm sure he's a great guy seems to attract sponsors but it appears stefan wilson's career stalled a long time ago in indie lights my question is for a team or sponsor for the 500 what does he bring his name is mentioned every year for a 500 ride, but his finish is there, 23rd or farther back. What gives? Yeah. Um, hey, you know, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation, Pat, where you've had plenty of talent, but really had almost none of the breaks that others have gotten. That's Steph Wilson. Um, the cool thing about Steph is despite having so many things about to happen on the verge, working like mad to put a sponsor together with a team and do this, and then that thing fall apart or otherwise. Instead of just saying, you know what? This has happened for too many years. I'm giving up. Guy kept fighting and chasing a dream and kept finding ways to run the Indy 500 and live his dream. And found a great guy in Don Cusick who shares in his dream and believes in him and sees that with sponsors, the guy's absolute magic makes them feel like a million bucks despite none of them spending a million bucks. And then goes out and does, based on the equipment he's given, do really impressive things. Had a teammate this last Indy 500 2012 IndyCar Series champion 2014 Indy 500 winner Ron Hunter Ray and those guys were pretty darn equal next to one another throughout the event as long as it went for Steph until he got hit from behind uh, by Catherine Legg who just wasn't paying attention um, so when he was at Andretti, seemed to do pretty darn good. Been in scenarios where the team hasn't necessarily delivered uh, much in the way of quality and yet persevered through it. Didn't throw them under the bus. Didn't go public and go into tirade and call out all their problems, but handled things with class. He's made mistakes too. Um, Got to admit, Pat, I'm not sure why you've chosen Stefan as someone to... Uh, spotlight here but yeah his career stalled i mean 
I'm a freaking motor racing reporter, man. Like why? Because granted, I chose to stop doing what I was doing as IndyCar team member, but I stalled, right? I went about as far as I could. I lost interest. My heart wasn't in it. There's some valid reasons behind it, but I mean, how many of us are truly thriving, kicking ass, top of our respective career or passion or endeavor? Probably not many. I'd say probably 90 plus percent of us. We are not leading the herd. We're in the herd. Um, this guy has a dream and is one of the world's best race car drivers. When I say worlds, yeah, of course, there's a little bit of a caveat there. Top 100? No. Top 200, 300? I don't know. Top 500 for sure. And that's among the tens of thousands a hundred plus thousand people who drive race cars or more. So yeah. Is this guy starting five for the Los Angeles Lakers? No bench player for sure. Average guy, even at the end of the bench in the NBA or it's equivalent in the NFL, whatever, still one of the best, <laughs> still one of the elite. So Yeah. I don't know what the grudge is here, Pat, but it definitely didn't strike me in a very positive way. Um, Steph Wilson is the guy that I point to, along with others similar to him, and say, be that guy. You're not going to be Scott Dixon, Alex Pillow, Joseph Newgarden, and so on. You're not going to be them. They have otherworldly talent. They are in the 1% of the 1% in terms of this intangible thing that most of us would be silly to think we could attain. Steph Wilson, immense natural talent, insane work ethic, delightful personality, a spirit that cannot be crushed. And what does the guy do? Puts the God-given talent, the crazy Wilson family work ethic and his charm and his belief in himself to work every day and ends up rallying a group together to go to the Indy 500 every year and add a new chapter to his dream. Uh, that's what gives. Jamie Carr, greetings from Southwest Ohio. Best of you and your family. Since tomorrow's Halloween, any good or spooky ghost stories about Speedway? Absolutely none. Um, never been scared there. Uh, never in a spooky way. I got nothing. And I apologize. But, yeah, I got nothing, man. Um. My experiences at the Speedway, even the bad ones or sad ones, uh, nothing ghostly about them. Casey Kirkstra, see, with all the technical alliances being formed, is this going to put teams without them on the back foot? For instance, uh, ERC, I think that's Ed Racing Carpenter, 
among my favorite teams. Uh, Coin and RLL are not attached to any of the big teams. You say without these alliances, will they continue to fall further behind? Um, no. Uh, Ed Race and Carpenter, they'd benefit from an alliance with a bigger team, but I think they're a little too proud to do that. Coin, for sure, would benefit, but I don't know of anybody who is wanting to do that. And RLL would punch me in the teeth. Uh, if I suggested that they needed to have a technical alliance with a quote big team because they see themselves as one of the big teams and as being capable of doing it all themselves, of which they are. So yeah, RLL is the only one that really doesn't fit this example, but Foyt has one, Myershank Racing has one. They're the only ones. Um we saw the benefit between Andretti Technologies and Myershank Racing when they were a single car team with Jack Harvey. Very competitive. Uh, the last two years as a two car team without Jack Harvey, very uncompetitive. So that they've been on the back foot with a technical alliance. And I don't think you can blame Andretti for that. I think Myershank Racing has a lot of things they need to do better to get the most out of it. Waiting to see the full fruit of that Penske-Foyt relationship. So we'll have to see if that does indeed move them forward in a serious capacity. Travis Lee. Uh, hey, Marshall, do you think someone with no race car experience would have a chance getting a mechanic job with an Indiana-based team? Been a machinist for 18 years and built engines for high-performance Subarus at a tuner shop for about seven. One of my favorite periods of my life was being associated with Mike Warfield and his GST Motorsports outfit here locally where we ran my little Scion out of, but first got to know him when uh, he helped tune a little factory Subaru sporty car, uh, WRX STI that I ran. So... Good on you for building Subi Motors. Uh, that's awesome. You say, I know if I was given the chance, I'd be great at it, but I feel with no relative experience, I wouldn't even be considered. A um, couple quick things here, Travis. The first part of I know I'd be great at it, that's a really dangerous viewpoint to express if you do talk to a team. Why? They hear that all the time. I have no experience, but this isn't limited to being a mechanic. If you let me drive your car, I know that I am the next Max Verstappen. I am the next Joseph Newgarden. Teams have been getting those letters, emails, or in-person messages delivered. You have to kind of modify the driver's name or the whomever's name to the era. Teams have been getting these kinds of things for as long as racing has existed. Yeah, see? Give me a chance, see? You know, drive the car like the next Ray Haroon, see? I mean, yeah. Um, so I don't doubt your mechanical skills or machining skills. Just for everything I could possibly ask. If you do speak with a team, 
do not tell them you think you'd be great at it because they've heard that from every possible angle and it's pretty much an immediate disqualifier it puts you in a category of a lot of crazy unhinged untethered folks not saying that they are or were actually crazy or unhinged they were perceived in that kind of negative light and then dismissed um could a racing team in indianapolis not necessarily indy car be open yeah for sure you're probably looking at more of a usf championships level maybe indy nxt being a race car mechanic might not seem like it if you've been doing something for 18 years as a machinist and building subi tuner motors for seven this would be exciting and new to start but you will then find hey you know that kind of repetition thing that i had with my last job that was really getting boring guess what (laughs) you busting open a gosh i'm almost forgetting the engine designation is it an ej22 anyways i forget but you building subaru motors probably way more involved and ultimately interesting than yanking the front suspension off of a tatus usf championships car or similar um not for the first year maybe even the first two years but after a while you're gonna be like i'm doing the same damn thing over and over and over again we're going to the track um setting up the setup pad um putting out the awning um putting down the flooring i'm doing this doing that i'm polishing this i'm okay great go out okay done the session great okay doing the set down and okay we're doing the right okay crash car got to replace this put that back okay great and we're breaking down the setup pad and pulling up the kiwi tile flooring and we're breaking down the awning and we're putting we're driving back and we're taking the car out and we're doing the prep and we're going back to the track and we're set up set up pad set up the kiwi tile and just saying like keep in mind that this is the exact same thing you're doing just in a different environment but if racing is your passion then yes absolutely uh this is something you can do real honest question though if this is something you just thought about i totally get it if this is something you've been wanting to do for a little while i would ask why you haven't and i'm assuming just because i haven't seen it mentioned here but uh if this is something you have wanted to do for a while why have you not gone out and gained race car experience and not at the pro level but your local SCCA or NASA club racing thing, uh, go to a racetrack, find people. These are just normal human beings uh, running the type of car that interests you. Maybe it's a GT car, maybe, again, who knows? But find someone running a car that interests you and go to them and say, hi, my name is Travis, and I have a lot of experience and I love racing, uh, but I don't have any racing experience. Can I volunteer? and you will learn things that will be invaluable so that you can go to a team and say yep i've never worked on that exact thing but i've crewed uh 
and I've turned wrenches on a open wheel car and I've done some of these things. So you are not having to go in like so many others with no experience expecting your new employer to give you all the experience. That's the one main takeaway I'd hope you'd get from this. Is it impossible for you to get hired with no racing experience? It's not impossible. Odds are very slim. And if you were hired, it'd probably be with a somewhat terrible team who'll kind of take anybody and is in the habit of just taking, hey, was getting my new tires, snow tires put on my truck at the local whatever discount tire. And I thought the kid doing it was really sharp, so I offered him a job and they're going to come make whatever amount, not much, working for my team that's not great, but it's a thrill for them until they realize that, boy, this team is not great. Um, be the person who goes and gets some experience, even if it's just club racing and even if it's just volunteer. For this main thing, how many jobs do you know of where folks will say, yes, I'll hire you with no experience? Like Legitimately, that's like McDonald's. And I'm not saying working at McDonald's is a bad thing, but that is an entry-level thing. For someone with 18 years of experience on the machining side, Like you're not 18 years old, fresh out of high school, taking an entry-level McDonald's job. So do not position yourself like someone to be treated like they're a kid showing up applying at mcdonald's to gain their first ever work experience with no experience be the one who puts in that time and can at least say yep i have worked on a formula v a formula ford formula ford 2000 uh whatever it might be formula enterprise formula whatever um go do that and improve your odds Hey, this is going to be a longer episode, y'all. Uh, Newsflash. See, we're talking, see. Uh, MPSC others are asking about iLot, so I'll listen to your response to those questions. But here's mine. Is this week's art available anywhere? T-shirts, pins, stickers? Bravo to the artist. Uh, I decided randomly to use one of the show graphics from last year, which is of uh, it's a, a Star Wars-inspired uh, tune that our guy... Roger work did. Yeah, I think I have some stickers. Um, and on the list of things I have to do, I have probably 10 or 15 different show stickers, be it weekend Indy car, weekend sports cars, who knows what, um, that I just need to take little photos of and, and make post and make available on my little, uh, merch page or something. So yes, it is Andy. I apologize. I suck. I should have done this last year and I will do my best to get it done by the end of the week and let folks know. Um, Fred Melky, you know, Fred, uh, I think I have the solution to increase IndyCar's popularity, which IndyCar drivers would be suitable for Taylor Swift, uh, suitable suitors for Taylor Swift. You say, uh, once she moves on from Travis Kelsey, I expect that would increase viewership. Uh, and if she doesn't break up with Travis before next season, could we at least invite both of them to be grand marshals or wave the green flag at Indy? I love the latter. I believe in love. Uh, so I wouldn't want to see them break up. Um, so yes to the latter. Um, gosh, has it really been since Dario 
and Ashley Judd were married where there was a famous-ish driver and spouse thing in, in IndyCar? Yeah, I think. Am I forgetting somebody? I don't know. Maybe. I apologize. Um, Riley Stricker, you sent in a, a delightful question. I think you've heard the show before and know who our partners are. So, um, yeah, we're going to pay a little bit of respect to that. Uh, Brett Keys, you say MP. Indian XT ever consider requiring like one pit stop during a race, even if it was just for tires. So you understand it would add costs, but it could help prepare drivers and crew for IndyCar. Add a layer of strategy. I don't know if they've ever considered it, just because I've never asked, but I do wonder how much longer NXT will go forward without pit stops because if you are saying you are doing all you can within your means to train drivers for indycar and you know that in formula two or super formula pit stop even if it's just for tires would be something that likely to happen and in many instances we have younger drivers doing more sports car racing where pit stops or happening have to learn to hit their marks and follow instructions from the crew chief and hold and then go and do all kinds of stuff um hold the brakes right position the steering wheel correctly uh although it hasn't been a thing in indy lights before uh indy nxt since penske entertainment bought things i don't know if you need to really do much more than add a slight cost per weekend and nitrogen bottles and air hoses and I would come up with a a quote spec air gun that is very inexpensive right something that you know we're not talking these multi-thousands of dollars deals in indycar this to me is not about speed of pit stops but true driver and crew training as well um you could set the pit lane speed limit at some insanely low number. I don't care, 20 miles an hour. I mean, make sure that this is crazy safe. But, you know, look, if you're going to say that you're doing your best to train and you know that in other similar junior open wheel categories throughout the world that pit stop practice is or pit stop training is happening during the races, it's not something you want to leave just hanging over the plate as something you don't offer. Uh, Austin Taylor, Marshall, what do you think of the chances of seeing Ryan Hunter Ray return to the Indy 500? Um, haven't checked in with a big guy in a little while, but uh, I would hope after what was, I think, a pretty positive Indy 500 on debut with Dry and Reinbold Racing, um, I think that would be a, a place, possibly. We know that Errol McLaren has its fourth entry already taken. They're not doing five. Not aware of Andretti expanding to some even greater number to accommodate someone an extra extra seat beyond Marco. Um, Ray Hall Adam and Lanigan Racing strikes me as a place where they're if they run a fourth car, they might consider him. Granted, knowing how poorly they did last year, I don't know if inviting the weight of running an extra car instead of just focusing on the three you got. Uh, is the way I'd go. So 
you can run through the list. Foyt probably going to run a third car and coin might run a third, but yeah. Um, the answer I would think really centers on, is there a seat that Ryan is interested in having? And if there is, he'll be back. And if not, if he feels like, eh, you know, I can go drive my heart out and 15th is, is my best realistic chance. Uh, he might pass, uh, at more than ovals. What up MP? What is, or are the reasons IndyCar doesn't race Mexico? Say Pato was mobbed at the Mexico city GP this past weekend. Well, couple of quick reasons. Uh, no one that I know of within Mexico is trying to get IndyCar there to go racing. Um, on the flip side, not aware of anyone at IndyCar really going nuts to try and make a Mexico race happen. Maybe the the other part here, which we can't ignore, Pato being mobbed, the GP is amazing. Been mobbed before, so keep in mind that free range Formula One drivers kind of doesn't happen. So although Pato's not a F1 driver, he is a well-known driver and free to kind of walk around and be in and among folks more often than the F1 drivers would be. So the fact that he's out and about and being recognized and loved, it's all kind of as expected. But here's the thing I would say, and maybe this isn't what the desired answer is. Sergio Perez most famous Mexican race car driver in the world races in formula one is a huge draw at the Mexican grand prix. As we know, Hey, we're going to have an IndyCar race there. Okay. Who's going to be there? Pato award. Well, that's awesome. Pato's also loved. Pato's also known. And I'm just kind of making this up, but out of a hundred Mexican racing fans, I would assume all 100 know Checo. I don't know what the number is for Pato, but it doesn't feel like it'd be 100. Um, and that's, again, no disrespect, just Checo races on a global stage. Big name, been around for a long time. Pato, IndyCar's most popular driver. Been around for a little while, but not necessarily international stage. Uh, to my knowledge, has never raced at home at a major, major event to then be celebrated in that kind of way. So, hey, IndyCar announces it's going to race in Mexico or Mexico, the, the um, Hermanos Rodriguez circuit. be amazing. I, mean, I feel like we'd be lucky if we had 25% of the crowd. Just because outside of Pato, you know, Elio, I think he's somewhat known um, globally, somewhat, but we start running out of, and he's not full time. Heck, he's a one race a year guy now. I just don't know, brother, if there's the real possibility of attracting anything like an audience where you go, hey, wow. This, this feels like the Mexican Grand Prix Part 2 in terms of response and audience size. I think we'd have to be at a smaller circuit, 
fewer grandstands for it to be filled, but I have no question Pato would be mobbed and loved, and it would only help his popularity shoot even higher. Uh, let's see. No underscore pack 6718. MP, first time asker here. Why is the corner at Road America named Canada Corner? Peace and love to you, Chabrell and the cats. Um, okay. I hate to do this. I did know the answer at one point in time. I have forgotten. So I'm doing a Google search because that's what you do when you get asked a question that you don't know how to answer. Why is Canada Corner named Canada Corner? We do this stuff only towards the end of the show when I assume not many people are listening. According to the first thing that pops up on Google, which means it has to be accurate, the second version is that after the first event at the track in 1955, showing different configuration here. Cleanup crews found huge amounts of empty cans of Canadian beer and lots of empty Canadian cigarette packs. For whatever reason, Corner 12 uh, will always be known as Canada Corner. So, um, there's a couple of answers here. Um, and I think, I'm just looking. Eh. Someone says here from 2019, uh, Road America changes Canada Corner to Make America Great Again Corner in response to tariff dispute with Canada. Uh, and this is from a Renlist forum post. So that means it has got to be accurate. It's <laughs> oh, hilarious. Um, hey, we'll just go with the first one. Um, and if that's not it, well, darn it, Internet, you've let us down with something that was not 100% truthy. Um, I'm just scrolling through the rest of the questions here. Uh, there, it's It's either... I lot questions or Taylor Swift questions. Y'all are hilarious. Uh, Ryan Terpstra, you throw this cryptic one in here. I know the answer, but uh, it's not my, uh, not for me to uh, reveal. You say congratulations are due. The person who deserves congratulations know who they are, and I'm sure you do too, MP. I do. Um, it's not me, but yeah. Um, all right, final question goes to our pal Darren King says, hey, fellow December 7th birthday kid, please tell me why we still qualify on road and street courses differently than ovals. It's nothing but trouble. Drivers always come off the track saying, well, we would have done good if it weren't for so-and-so getting in their way. The solution to road and street course qualifying to me is evident. Do it like we do single car in the ovals. Well, I mean, I hear you, but I, I, I don't necessarily hear you, Darren. Um, I am one of those folks who finds it endlessly amusing that since we never have the full field of 24, 27, 28 cars on track at the same time during road and street course qualifying, at most it's half, 12 to 14 cars. What's the shortest track we go to? I think one is it, and I'm talking road and streets, obviously 1.9 ish miles, 1.8, 1.9, 1.8, 1.9, but they're all, you know, 2-ish, 2.2, even more. How do you, when there's just 12 to 14 of you 
on a track that is, let's just call it on average, 10,000 feet long. How you end up on top of each other all the time? Oh, this guy. Oh, I was just starting my run, and good old Charlie, and good old Fred. Oh, boy, they were they screwed me. They were slowing down. Or you go. On average, there's ten thousand feet of track. These cars are what twenty feet long, whatever it is, right? Fifteen, twenty feet long. Come on, man. Do the math. Divide. You go, you should have like a solar system of space to yourself. All it takes, a little bit of communication with your team, looking at what they call the March of Ants, the track map with the corresponding transponder of all the cars, the little dots marching around the track to go, hey, that's our dot. And oh, there's a bunch of dots in front of us. Well, if there are no dots immediately behind us, why don't you back off a tiny bit? Hey, and give yourself a gap. And not just like a tiny gap, but like a good gap. So if the ones in front of you monkey around a little bit, you still got a gap. I, I don't know, Darren. So, because this happens, still will happen half the races next year at least and people would be pissed off and oh that guy over here screwed me and he tried to this and that indy car i need you to give him a penalty for obstruction and blocking and like it's just hilarious to me and why would you want to take humor away from motor racing darren king this is the thing i ask you as a fellow sagittarian pearl harbor day day that lives in infamy birthday brother why would you take humor away from indy car because it needs it sometimes it needs it right now so the fact that despite having on average ten thousand feet plus of track in these dozen ish cars drivers still not figuring out how to carve out their realize it's not necessarily a full thousand feet of track to themselves but like a lot you could have one, two football fields or so of space all to yourself if y'all worked together, paid attention to space out. I say keep this forever. If anything, I say throw out a few Joker cars. Especially, hey, when we get a little farther into the knockout rounds and, hey, some drivers get knocked out just for fun right i think teams should be able to nominate some of the knocked out cars to go out just to intervene right hey sucker if you go out and you do a good job of impeding one of our rivals indycar will let you start three positions farther forward you do a decent job you get two you do a eh, job between one and zero we as the the nominating team that send you out are, are obstructionists. This is like old school roller derby. And I realize that's a very old reference, but like someone to go out and just try and get in the way and, and really cause problems. I'm seeing a new reason like, Hey buddy, sorry, you got knocked out, but don't get out of the car. <laughs> no, uh, 
Hunko's hauling a racing has just nominated you. Could you imagine if Callum's driving for like coin and gets knocked out and Hunko's nominates him to go out and try and get in the way? I mean, do you do it? Do you actively try and tank someone else's qualifying to help the team that kind of sort of jacked you? Or do you go out and do the opposite? Whomever their big rival is, do you go out and actually try and help that person draft down the long straight and improve their qualifying? Yeah, you're going to be awarded zero advanced starting spots, but you actually undermined the team that did you dirty. See, this is where my mind is going, Darren. It's probably aided by (laughs) uh, Dragon's Milk, and it's, what are we at? Yeah, 11% ABV, not bad. Um, So, yeah, I'm going the opposite direction with you here. I want the opposite. I want all the smoke. I want people intentionally going out just to get in the way. Can't cause a crash, though, right? Cause a crash, you're actually parked. You're done, sent home can't partake in the race so you can't do anything that shady or just be that negligent but yeah i'm going the opposite direction here all right y'all thanks for listening longest episode i think you've done in a really long time uh or a little while i'm your host marshall pruitt this is your marshall pruitt podcast brought to you by cooper tires the justice brothers torontomotorsports.com and discount tire normally do a little promo for the Day listener group uh if you have an interest in joining a new family of friends who love racing and talking about it and life the universe and everything else i gotta drink more beer take a look at the description the email address to reach out to get a little automatic response they'll tell you how to join and then you got a new family and treat them well um believe them uh if they have any kind of problems rally to them be the best kind of friend. Be the best kind of racer. Don't abandon them. Don't disbelieve them. That sucks. All right. That's all I got for you. Uh, I'm supposed to be chilling this week. So I don't know how many more, quote, new podcasts I'm going to do. But I do endeavor to yank a couple off of my hard drive that I've had sitting for a little while and post so hopefully uh might have as many as three to four podcasts here to run by the end of the week other than that appreciate y'all i'll speak to you soon